Good morning, everyone. Now, it is an honor and privilege uh, for me to be with you, breathing together with you, and honoring God together with you, and learning God's word together with you this 12th day of June 2022. Now, why did I say that? Because two years ago, the whole world was struck by a virus that practically brought all of us to our knees. We know that everybody was trying to make sense of everything that's happening in our world two years ago. The whole world was held captive economically and financially. It is a global health crisis that we still are in right now. Many businesses came to a halt. A lot of people lost their jobs. Education suffered terribly. Millions got sick. And we know that we have lost a lot of people. At first, they were just numbers, statistics, and then they became real people, especially when COVID-19 hit our loved ones. Now, some, if not most of us, had it as well. And it is only by God's grace and God's mercy that we are even here today. And so I praise God for the opportunity to breathe together with you and to be here together honoring and worshiping the Lord. Now, we still are trying to make sense of everything, even if this past two years have already passed by. You know, most of us are wondering if this is already, if we are already at the end of the pandemic or will there be more surges? Uh, the WHO said that it's possible that this is only the beginning of many more pandemics that will happen in the future. And so we have to be prepared for all of that. Now, as a pastor, many people turned to me and asked me different kinds of questions during this uh, pandemic. Now, people would ask me questions, and I would call uh, these questions as end-of-the-world questions. Do you know what the end-of-the-world questions are? Is it the end-of-the-world, pastor? You know, in 2020, at the year 2020, it seemed like it was the end of the world. Are we at the end times? Is God coming back? And perhaps you've asked that, those questions as well. Now, other people came to me and asked me what I would call the judgment of God questions. What are the judgment of God questions? Is God judging us? Are we being punished for our sins? Does God want us to repent? Now, other people, in fear and worry, asked what I would call the questions as the I am in this uh, I am in the center of the world questions. What will happen to my plans? Who will take care of me? What will my future be like? Now, questions that we all can relate to, or perhaps even ask ourselves. Have you asked those questions yourselves? Perhaps some of those were the very things that you were thinking, keeping you awake at night. What's going to happen to the future? What should we do? What should our family do? And how are we going to move on from this pandemic? Now, many analysts have noticed that at the beginning of this global health crisis, that not only was the virus spreading like wildfire, but another pandemic was hitting many people. And that's not just the pandemic of the COVID-19. And that is called the pandemic of fear. Many people were afraid. I was afraid. I was afraid for myself, and I was afraid for my family. 
And I bet that all of us here were also afraid. We didn't even want to go out. When the government says, some of you can go out to buy food, nobody wants to go. You know, uh, people would say, oh, you, you go out and buy food. You'll be the ally. We were afraid. We didn't know how to respond to this global health crisis. There was a global fear that gripped the hearts and the minds of people. Many were worried and afraid of what was happening, especially the possibility of things getting worse. And we knew that from the start that it was going to get worse, and it did. First year passed, the second year passed, and right now we are here. And as time went on, as the days, the weeks, and the months, and now two years into this pandemic, people have now grown weary and tired. Many people are exhausted, worn out, and now we are consumed by another pandemic. And this is what I call the pandemic of fatigue. So the first one was the pandemic of fear. We were all afraid. And now this is the pandemic of fatigue. We are all tired. Don't you want the pandemic to end already? Sure, we want it to end. Everyone just wants this pandemic to be over. And so we are asking a very important question right now. How should we respond to the overwhelming and devastating power of fear and fatigue? And my straightforward answer to this pandemic of fear and the pandemic of fatigue is for us to respond with a better kind of pandemic. And what is that? A pandemic of faith. In the face of a pandemic of fear and the pandemic of fatigue, we ought to respond with a better kind of pandemic, a pandemic of faith. Yes, faith. You see, the Bible records that at the start of the early first century church, Christians, meaning Christ believers and Christ followers, already faced a similar crisis. You know, this is not the first time the whole world faced a pandemic. This is not the first time the world faced a tragedy of this magnitude. The way they responded to their own crisis will teach us how we can respond to ours. And so what we will be doing this morning is we'll look to the Christians in the first century and see what we can learn from how they responded to their own crisis so that we could face the crisis that we have right now. So let's turn to the book of Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 30. So if you have your Bibles with you, I hope that you could open it to the book of Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 30. And this is what we will see. Verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch spreading the word only among the Jews. Now, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks as well, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, 
and saw the grace of God had what the grace of God has done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. You know, Barnabas was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called first Christians first at the place of Antioch. Now verse 27 says, During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Holy Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. And verse 30 says, This they did, this they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. May the Lord add blessing to the reading of his word. Now clearly, in this passage, we saw how fear and fatigue has affected the people during this time. The first thing that happened because of fear and because of the tiredness that they were experiencing because of their persecution, Christians were scattered. Christians were scattered by the persecution. There was fear. People were afraid. They were worried about their lives, and they went to different places to save themselves. Now, that's the effect of fear. Even if you believe that God is with you, sometimes fear speaks to your mind and says, you can't do this. You know, you're too small to overcome this problem. There's nothing that you can do to, to see yourself out of this. And this is what happened to the people. They were scattered because of their fear. Now, on top of that, a severe famine spread over the entire world. So think about this. There was persecution. If you were a Christian during that time, you're, you're hunted for your faith. You could go to jail. You could be flogged for your faith. You can even die. People were being uh, uh, punished in coliseums. They were made, being made fun of by other people. It was terrible for Christians. And so wherever they go, they were trying to hide. Now, on top of that, there was a severe famine. So if they left Jerusalem to go to another place, they're not safe either. Because even if they have escaped persecution, they would not escape famine. There will be no food to eat. There will be no resources for them to have. And so what will they do? What is a Christian to do during this severe and hard times? Now, if we were there, if we, all of us here, were there during the first century, perhaps we would be asking the same questions that people ask now. Try to imagine yourself being in the first century, asking, why are we suffering? Why are we being persecuted I thought believing in Jesus meant a good life. I thought being, you know, th- there was a song that I liked when I was a kid. You know, I don't know if you know this. Like, Ang buhay ng Christian ay... You don't know what that life of Christian is. Masayang tunay, that's what they say. 
perhaps some of the people were wondering, I'm a Christian now, but I'm being persecuted. There's no joy in this. There's so much suffering. On top of that, why is there a widespread famine? Is God judging us? Are we being punished by God? God, do you want us to repent? Or perhaps in fear and worry, we'll ask, what will happen to my plans? Who will take care of me? What will my future be like? But you see, the believers in the first century did not respond like that. They had a different response to their crisis. That instead of living in fear and fatigue, they responded in faith. They showed faith by telling others the good news, just like what we read about the Lord Jesus, and that resulted to a great number of people believing and turning to the Lord. What was happening? There was severe persecution, there was severe famine, and yet the believers kept on sharing Jesus. They knew what their mission was. They did not say, can we just push the pause button? Can we just stop sharing the gospel and discipling people? Because, you know, we're in a famine right now. Can we just stop, you know, gathering together for small groups and discipleship? Because, you know, there's severe persecution. No. Despite the situation that they were in, they kept on sharing Jesus. They kept on discipling people. And that resulted to not a number of people, but a great number of people believing and turning to the Lord. You know, in the, in the first part of the book of Acts, there were 3,000 people who came to the Lord. But in the, the passage that we read, the chapter after that, when Peter was preaching, 5,000 people were added more to the church. In the midst of persecution and in the midst of famine. And one person that was described here is Barnabas. He was described as being a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. You know what he did? Did he cower in fear or succumb to fatigue? No. You know what he was described to have done? He went to minister to the believers. And he was glad. And he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. There was severe famine. There was persecution. But Barnabas was not to be stopped. He's going to go to where the brothers are. He's going to encourage them. He's going to, you know, when you say encourage, it means to give courage to. You know, that's what encourage means, to give courage to. So he went to the brothers and the sisters who were suffering, and he went there to give courage to them. You're losing your courage? Let me give you courage. Let me say to you what you need to hear about God so that your faith may be strengthened. And I believe this is what we ought to do as well. He even looked for Saul. You know, during this time, Saul was not, you know, the... the, the Paul that we know him to be eventually, but he looked for Saul so that the both of them could teach the believers for how many, for how long? For a year. So Saul and Barnabas joined forces 
went to Antioch and said to each other, let's encourage the believers here. They're losing hope. They're losing their faith. Let's be there. Let's train them. Let's encourage them so that their faith may be emboldened. Now, that's faith. Who else? This passage also talks about the other disciples. The Bible says that the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and the sisters living in Judea. What did they do? They sent gifts to Barnabas and Saul. For what purpose? To aid those who were suffering. But weren't they suffering as well? Weren't they persecuted as well? Weren't they in the same famine as the other believers were? Yes, they were in the same situation, in the same storm, in the same problems that their whole world was facing. And yet, they would not say, you know, I have to take care of myself and myself alone. No, that's not how they responded. They saw the need of the brothers and the sisters in Judea, and they said, why don't we give help to those people who are in need? But aren't you also in need? Yes, I'm also in need, but they need the help more. And so I'm going to go there. I'm going to send as I am able, not what I'm comfortable, comfortable to give. As I am able, I'm going to give to those who are in need. What we see here is that responding in faith results to what? Turning people back to God. And number two, turning discouragements to encouragements. My friends, responding in faith produces more faith in other people. So if we, as a church, respond in faith, the people around us will increase and develop and grow in their faith as well. Now, perhaps the reason why we cannot see how God is working in our lives right now is because we cannot see, we are not asking the right questions. The reason why we cannot see the open doors of opportunities for us to show the love of Jesus is because we're not asking the right questions. People have been asking a lot of questions, but are they the right questions? Sometimes instead of asking the right questions, we tend to complain, grumble, blame others, murmur, be worried and anxious instead of asking what God is accomplishing in the midst of our problems. Instead of asking end-of-the-world questions or judgment-of-God questions, instead of asking whose fault is it questions or even the I am in the center of the world questions, let me ask you to ask the right kind of questions. And so what are the right kind of questions? Nicholas Thomas Wright, or more popularly, more popularly known as N.T. Wright, he's a New Testament scholar, an Anglican bishop, and an author of the book God and the Pandemic, proposes that we ask three important questions in the face of this pandemic. Number one, who are at risk? Number two, who can we be of help? And number three, who shall we send? Just like Barnabas, he was sent by the church to aid the believers who were suffering. So three questions. Who are at risk? How can we be of help? And who shall we send? And so we should ask ourselves here at UECP, who will we help? Who needs our help? How can we help? How has God enabled our church 
to help others. And who will go to help? Now, I believe not, that not everybody can go out to help, but we can be senders, we can be mobilizers, we can be the welcomers, and we can be the goers. Wherever God is calling us to do, be faithful. And so we ask ourselves, who will we help? How can we help? And who will go to help? Another person, John Piper, you know, uh, a theologian, a Baptist pastor, and the author of the book, Coronavirus and Christ, wrote this. One of God's purposes in the coronavirus is that his people put to death self-pity and fear and give themselves to good deeds in the presence of danger. Christians lean toward need, not comfort, toward love, not safety. Just like the song, we sa- the, the anthem sang earlier, that we will forgo all of our comforts so that we could give to those who, in, who are in need. And so, church, during the most difficult the most demanding and the most dangerous times in history. Christians did not cower in fear, nor were conquered by fatigue, but the church was all the more challenged, challenged in faith to love as Jesus loved. That's what we learned from last week. To love as Jesus loved, compassionately, practically, and sacrificially. That is also what we ought to do right now. So we need to ask this question. How do we live like Christ in a pandemic-stricken world? How can each and every one of us be like Jesus to the people around us in this time of the pandemic? Now, the church in the first century and the centuries after that, not only in the first century, but the centuries after that, have always placed that question front and center of their lives. How do we live and love like Christ? Can you say this with me? How do I live and love like Christ? So let's look at this global pandemics that has happened in the past and see how Christians in history responded in faith and in love. The first plague that I want to share with you is the Antonine Plague. In 165 to 180 AD, for 15 years, smallpox, measles, have killed 5 million people across Asia Minor, Greece, Egypt, and Italy. Now, Lyman Stone, one of the historians during this time, uh, wrote about this. It is also, uh, during this time, it was not only the pandemic that spread, but it also might have led to the spread of Christianity, he said. Some historians suggest as Christians cared for the sick and offered a spiritual model whereby plagues were not the work of angry and capricious deities, but the product of a broken creation and revolt against a loving God. People during this time thought that the reason why they had plagues is because the gods of their time were angry at them. The Christians explained, no, what we're suffering is because of our own rebellion against God. It is sin that brought this to us. But not only that, Christian love was seen 
that during this time when people were dying, Christians were not hiding in fear. They were actually out there taking care of those who were sick. Not only the Antonine Plague, but the second one, the Cyprian Plague. The Cyprian Plague happened in 249 to 262 AD. Smallpox, influenza, killed as many as 5,000 people daily in Europe, Africa, and Asia. Lymonson continues, he said, but it did something else too. Not only the, did the virus spread throughout these continents, but it triggered the explosive growth of Christianity, he said. Cyprian sermons told Christians not to grieve for plague victims. You know why? Because they already are in heaven. If they're Christians, they're going to go to God. And so don't grieve for them anymore. There's hope beyond this life. But what did he say to the people? He said to the people, redouble your efforts to care for the living. Redouble your efforts. They were already taking care of the people. And he said, do more. Sacrifice more. Love more. His fellow bishop, Genesius, described how Christians, heedless of danger, took charge of the sick, attending to their every need. This is how Christians, during this time, responded to their pandemic. Not fear, not fatigue, but in faith. Black death. In 1346 or 1353, the bubonic plague killed as much as 75 million to 200 million people all across Europe, Africa, and Asia. An anonymous Sicilian friar wrote about this, uh, about the Christians during this time. He said, yet there were also pockets of extraordinary Christian charity. It was not just ordinary Christian charity. It was extraordinary, going beyond what they, could, that they, what they are already doing. According to one French chronicler, the nuns at one city hospital, having no fear of death, tended to the sick with all sweetness and humility. You know, during this time, I heard some scholars say that people were just falling down like flies. They would walk the streets and they would just collapse and die. That, ha- that was how severe the plague was. But having no fear of death, they tended to the sick with all sweetness and humility. New nuns replaced those who died until most had died. And many times, renewed by death, they now rest in peace with Christ, as may, we may piously believe. Number four, the Spanish flu. Okay, Any here, anybody here alive during the 1918 to 1919? Nobody? Okay. 50 million people died. H1N1 influenza A virus. And this was worldwide. Gregory Fairbanks wrote this. Pandemics and plagues have often marked periods when the greatest saints are born. Christians have tried to do their best to minister to those who were suffering and did not have anyone else to take care of them. This is how Christians responded during the Spanish flu. They were doing their best to serve others, even if nobody was taking care of them. 2013 to 2016, the world was shocked with Ebola virus. Anybody here alive already? Of course, most of us, right? 
28,646 suspected cases in Western Africa alone and 11,323 confirmed deaths in that place. Now, according to his, uh, the, the writings in Time magazine, in the battle against the Ebola virus, one Christian doctor, his name is Dr. Kent Brantley, was ministering to the people in Western Africa. He got sick himself, but he, and he was rushed back to the U.S. after almost dying in Liberia, serving the people. He almost died himself. But as he served the people during that time, he always had them in mind. So when he got better, you know what he did? He returned back to the same continent where he almost lost his life. And so the people were perplexed. You almost died. You almost lost your life. Your family almost lost you. Asked why he wanted to go back. You know what he said? He said this, God has opened the doors. God has opened the doors. Throughout, Christians have shown courage, compassion, and sacrificial love to people no matter what their situation. From the first century and the centuries that came after that, the most difficult, the most demanding, and the most dangerous times in history, Christians were not afraid nor were conquered by fatigue. Instead, the church was all the more challenged, challenged in faith to look for doors of opportunities, for doors that God is opening. Amazing, right? And this makes me ask the question, what drives people like them to give more than what is expected? What drives people like Dr. Kent Brantley to go beyond the call of duty? What makes people like the people in all of those plagues, the Christians during the first century, selflessly live for others? What drives them? What motivates them? What inspires them? You know what? Because the Christians took their cue from what Jesus said. What did Jesus say? He said, a new commandment I give you. What did he say? Love one another as I have loved you. The disciples remembered it. And the disciples taught it to their disciples. And their disciples started their disciples and their disciples and their disciples from the first century until now. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you also must love one another. Because by this, this kind of love, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And the people in our time right now will also know that we are the disciples of Jesus if we love others in the same way that Jesus loved us. If the Christians in the first century and in the different centuries where pandemics abound took Jesus seriously in loving in the same way that Jesus loved, 
compassionately, practically, and sacrificially, don't you think that we, Christians in the 21st century, we, the believers and the followers of Jesus here at UECP, ought to do the same? To love others with compassion, with the compassion of Christ, helping others practically, not just praying for them, sacrificially giving up our rights and our privileges so that others may find life in Jesus. If we do this, I believe that we will see all the doors of opportunities to love and serve others in Christ. Friends, in the past two years, life has been very difficult for many of us. It's a mess. We have been tested severely. Trials like this have broken many people, many families, and we all feel like victims of a suffering that we think we do not deserve. But you know what? Take encouragement from this. God can turn a mess into a message, a test into a testimony, a trial into a triumph, and a victim into a victor. So no matter what we've been through this past two years, remember, God can always turn everything upside down. In the midst of this global crisis, my friends, God is opening doors of opportunities for people like you and people like me, where we can show the love of Christ to other people. Cory Ten Boom, she's a Holocaust survivor herself, and one that has helped save many people during that time, said this, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at God, you'll be at rest. Church, this is my challenge for us. As we leave this place later, let your faith be contagious. Let your hope be infectious and your love be pandemic. Let us all pray. Lord God, we pray that you would challenge us to respond in faith, to press on in hope, and to live in love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much.